Hello and welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus, and along with my co-host, cookery writer, teacher and chef, Charlotte Pike, we're delighted to bring you series two of the show. As we roll through the autumn and winter of what has undoubtedly been the most extraordinary year of global upheaval, we'll be talking about all things to do with food. Here at the Pandemic Pantry podcast, our aim is to entertain and inform you, our lovely listeners. We'll be joined by lots of wonderful guests from the world of food, from chefs to food writers, who will share stories of how their life has changed and what their world of food now looks like, both at home and professionally. The podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. A delicious range of tasty treats from smoked hummus to our fabulous new chocolate spread dessert hummus, which tastes like brownie batter but has 70% less sugar than other chocolate spreads. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Ocado, Booth's, Planet Organic and Whole Foods Market, plus lots of lovely local independent farm shops and delis. Every week we'll be offering our lovely listeners the chance to win a case of delicious Moorish hummus and dips. If you'd like to enter the draw, please go to the competition posts on our social media pages and follow the instructions. So, the time has come. Pull up a chair and tuck in to another delicious episode of the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. We are back for Series 2. And it looks like we may have arrived in your podcast app just as the UK hits another bump in the road with the COVID-19 pandemic. Latest news has seen the government announce a three-tier COVID management system, which will be applied to UK regions locally. And sadly, it looks like it will have a major impact on the hospitality industry yet again. In this episode, we'll focus on the hospitality sector, and along with our guests, we'll have an inside look at what it's like for restaurateurs at the moment. So, what else have we got planned for Series 2, dear listeners? Well, we'll have lots of fantastic guests, as always, telling us about their food, their businesses, and their lives as 2020 continues to deliver extraordinary challenges. We'll catch up on what's happening in food shops and the supply chain with our weekly industry news. And we'll hear some fantastic cooking tips from Charlotte as we continue to cook more than ever whilst the pandemic keeps us on a tight leash and largely at home for the foreseeable future. Finally, in case this is the first episode you've listened to, we do like to say up front that we know the audio quality of our content isn't perfect and occasionally contains the odd glitch. This is due to the nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional Wi-Fi wobble. So let's get on to the show. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? Hello, Jules. I'm really well, thanks, I'm pleased to say. Long time no speak. And how are you and your family? It's been quite a while, hasn't it? We said we'd stop the podcast for a few weeks and just enjoy some summer, and now here we are in October. Um, Yeah, we're all good, thank you. The children are, oh, thank goodness, back at school for now. Let's see how long that lasts. Very strange times. My daughter is in a GCSE year and feels very uncertain and like every test could be the final results and and that kind of thing. I'm working from home still. My husband has actually stopped working. He was an osteopath and had a COVID rethink and is now, well, effectively running the home fires while I'm working and deciding on what to do next. 
So, uh, yeah, quite a lot has changed since we last spoke to you and, and we were all locked down together. Things have definitely moved on. What about you? Absolutely. Wow. That is a lot of change over a couple of months. It feels like the summer has totally whizzed by and it's been really strange because it's been a mixture of being really, really busy, but obviously in a totally different way to before. From the work perspective, I've definitely found it's been sort of a mixture of good and bad because, you know, there are new opportunities out there, but they are fewer and farther between than they ever were. I mean, most of all the work I had before has pretty much disappeared. So it's been very much a case of picking myself up and starting again, which is no bad thing in the grand scheme of things. It's just a lot to get my head around. But from a personal perspective, my partner has been back at work for several months now. And I think he probably started back not long after we finished recording series one in the summer. And he works for a business that's been very vocal publicly about getting back to work and how important that is. So he is expected to go into the office five days a week now, every week. So I've been at home on my own every day now, and that's my new normal, which is absolutely fine. But again, different to what I've ever known before during lockdown and since. So again, such a lot of change in not very long. And did you find during the summer, were you able to and interested in going out to eat in restaurants? Yeah, I did go out to eat a few times. Yeah, and it was so lovely. Uh, I had a few, I had a few meals out with my family. Actually, I went out with my parents a couple of times, and I went out in a slightly larger gathering for my birthday, which was at the start of September. So I've had a couple of really nice meals out, which is fantastic. And on every occasion, it was just lovely because it felt really safe, but it felt as though the excitement and enjoyment of eating out hadn't been lost amongst it all. So it was a really, really positive experience. Have you been out much at all to eat? We have been out a little bit and same as you, it felt super safe. We were, because it was summer, we were able to sit outside. So I think I might have mentioned before in our village, there is um, a little restaurant on the river called the River Shack um, and it does lovely food. Um, Yes, they they obviously shut for a while, but they worked really hard to get everything up and running again. And we love our seafood and sitting outside on, on the banks of the River Dart, having a meal. It felt even more special than, than it ever had before. I did really feel for them. My daughter works for them. And this year was promoted from ice cream shack girl to the actual the service floor as a waitress. And they were so, so busy. It was just incredible. And I think a lot of challenges come with running a busy restaurant anyway but with all of these extra layers of precautions and changes and it did feel like extremely hard work and I do feel for those businesses that even despite investing in in these extra safety measures and extra changes that still there are some that will unfortunately be shutting down as we speak and the whole thing feels like such a shame because the joy had definitely not gone out of eating out with friends and family it's very much there and it's part of who we are I think and so yeah I guess we'll just have to see but what will these restaurants and pubs and hotels do so we'll just have to see as you say lots changing and sadly work going for people and a lot of the unknown coming 
So it's really interesting what you were saying about restaurants there, Jules, because we went on a little holiday this summer, which was great. We went on a road trip up to the Lake District and Scotland. And we went at the start of September, end of the school summer holidays. And having visited the Lake District several times a year for over the last 10 years, I have never seen it busier. It was virtually impossible to get anywhere to stay whatsoever. Absolutely everywhere I tried was fully booked. The same in Scotland. We drove on up from there and toured around different parts of Scotland. And it was so busy, huge numbers of tourists there. So in my personal experiences over the summer, it seems as though accommodation businesses have had a real boost in terms of numbers, which can only be a good thing for them. But actually, I think I suspect lots of people as well, like like us, have actually sort of discovered the joys of a road trip because to be quite frank we probably wouldn't have considered doing that before we probably would have thought about maybe going somewhere else possibly further afield and we just decided to pack up the car and go and never driven to Scotland before always have flown so don't have the time to drive it takes a day to get up there but it was totally wonderful and such a positive to come out of it all. Good. And yes, the whole staycation industry was certainly booming. And that's set to happen again at Christmas. People who would normally travel shan't be traveling. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And actually, we'll talk about Christmas in one of our upcoming episodes nearer the time. So let's meet our first guest for Series 2, Episode 1. We are going to be talking to a wonderful chef and restaurateur, Jane Baxter. So, Charlotte, over to you. Jane Baxter is a chef, award-winning cookbook author and co-owner of Wild Artichokes, an innovative food business based in Kingsbridge in Devon. She is one of the UK's most creative female chefs, having cooked all over the world. Her food draws on her travels and influential stints working for Joyce Molyneux at the Carved Angel in Dartmouth and the River Cafe in London. Possibly her greatest influence, however, is her deep love for Italy, specifically Puglia. I have had the great pleasure of enjoying Jane's food on several occasions, and it is truly delicious and highly memorable. It is always abundantly generous and executed with a profound understanding of what makes wonderful food. Jane Baxter, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you. It's great. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane. Let's start maybe by talking about your business, Wild Artichokes. Now, I didn't say too much in the introduction because I think it's a really interesting business to maybe hear about in your own words. So perhaps you could tell us a bit about what you were doing before the pandemic and how you've adapted since. Yeah, well, what we we were doing before all this happened was we wanted a business that was based around sharing food and also trying to make something that worked in this small town in Devon that we have, you know, there's not a big population here. It does increase quite considerably in the summer, but we wanted to make a year-round business. So what we did was we found an industrial unit and in Kingsbridge and we put in a big open kitchen that would work as a catering kitchen and also for large tables. So our business model is based around people sharing food, So we have pre-booked dinners, well, we used to have pre-booked dinners where people would come and share a table and share a set meal, no choice, but lots of choice within that food, within that meal. 
And then also we were able to cater for weddings, for parties, do catering for homes and also go out and do pop-ups in other venues. Yeah. So that's basically what our business model was based on, which is not very good at the moment. No, no, quite. I mean, you had a really varied business, varying activities throughout the week, didn't you? Yeah, sort of often yeah. your dinners at the weekend and then you'd be out on the road perhaps in the week. Or Yeah, you know, we, 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 we were always constantly looking for new venues that were interesting and we'd, we'd go to a wine cellar behind Dartmouth and do, you know, we do Sardinian lunch there and, you know, it was lovely. It was all outside. And then we'd go to a boathouse opposite Solcombe in East Portmouth and do dinners there. So, yeah, we were, we were doing lots of varied stuff as well as but the core of the business was, was in the summer, really, the weddings. Yeah. 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 And I'm obviously involved in a little bit of catering myself. And I, I certainly noticed my diary emptying out pretty rapidly yeah. in March and I imagine yeah. it was the same for you uh, so you had a bit of time off I think during the sort of yeah. peak lockdown if you like and then you've you've reopened in a different guise yeah so we were closed for probably about two months and then we we realized that we had to do something pretty quickly so that we could survive. So, you know, I think what's been great about this time to balance the negativity is that there's been a lot of support from other businesses and people who've actually gone gone first and and done the, the takeaway or, or turned into a shop. And so we had um, a friend, James Ricks, who's at the Fox and Hounds in Hunsdon, who I've known for a while. He used to come on the truffle trips with us had some chats with um, him and his wife about what they were doing because I noticed that they'd opened as a as a shop and doing a few takeaway meals. People like that. There's another guy called Adam Nathan who I've never met, but he was doing catering and he's had to turn his business around as well. So, yeah, lots of chats on Instagram, Twitter, phone calls and a huge amount of support. So, yeah, we sort of based our what we're doing now on what James, what's Rick, what Rixie's doing at the Fox and Hounds. And we decided that we'd open two days to pick up food. And also we were, you know, people wanted to pick up meals as well, based on sort of our sort of takeout feasting stuff, meals that we used to do. So yeah, that's how we started. And it was such a roller coaster because we have a cutoff time at 20, at, um, I mean, we're just about to have a cutoff time today for Saturday, uh-huh. and it's the same on Monday for Wednesday. And you have this feeling of complete dread that nobody is going to actually take you up on your offer. You know, you, ju- you do feel absolutely sick. When we started, this, this awful feeling of nausea that, you know, that we weren't going to get anybody taking it up. And it has been a roller coaster, but through the summer, we did okay. And we decided to open up again on um, for hot food to do a curry because it seems that whatever you do, people still just really want good curry. Mm. Uh, we're in the Southwest and there aren't that many good Asian places. So, you know, we've managed to get fresh curry leaves and stuff. So Friday night's curry night and we've done Mauritian curries and Sri Lankan and all sorts of stuff. And they, And we do an offer there where people come between six and seven and pick up a, a whole meal for two. So that's what we've done. Yeah. So it's it's developed. Yeah. It's developed from a little bit of bread and a few, you know, scotch eggs and a few picnic things with a few curries to the menu it has become larger through the summer so that we want to offer the holiday makers thing things as well as the locals. So yeah, you saw it's been trial and error. 
and I still feel that it's trial and error because now we've gone into the sort of quieter period, although there are still quite a lot of people around. But now everybody is thinking about Christmas. Interesting. That, that's what I've just been doing. Yeah. Do, yeah. Do you find it's, it's the moment, Jane, that there's there's more networking than ever between chefs? So I live just outside Dartmouth and I know that we spoke to Mitch in uh, series yeah. series one, episode one, and he was pivoting and doing <laughs> the, the selling the fish off, off the trawler in Britain. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, I, I see that you and he have, have sort of been chatting on social media. I imagine yeah. there's a lot of what are you doing? What are we doing? Let's all help each other. And yet again, again the landscape is changing in Scotland. You know, all sorts of things are happening and who knows what will happen here. Do you feel like you're all really sort of having to pull together and build something that is just ever changing and just really help each other? That's the feeling I get. Yeah, it it has been. It's been, um, I think, especially in lockdown, I was I spoke to him more then about the uncertainty I think Rockfish has been able to open, which has been great. The Seahorse has had other issues. And, of course, poor old Mitch has had an issue with Rockfish in Torquay as well with flooding. But they've managed to open. But I think now we're entering another period of uncertainty again, aren't we? I mean, with what's happened in Scotland over the last 24 hours and what could possibly be announced this evening. So, yeah. There's a huge amount of support and that's what I have felt that, you know, even I texted Nevis at Sabor one night mm. and, you know, she she was still there at one o'clock in the morning trying to fulfil her takeaway orders and I said, it's really hard work. I didn't actually realise how hard it was going to be. Yeah. And, you know, and I have to say, I've spent the last, the last four months, six, six days a week in the kitchen. I think possibly mentally it was slightly hard because we were in a bit of a dark hole with no natural light. Mm weren't getting out and about it was a hot summer too there were hard work in the kitchen a lot we have we have a lot of fans and yeah um, yeah. a lot of fans but you know what we've we've come through it and I just feel that every month is is going to be you're just going to have to be creative and adapt and that's for everybody in the industry you know there's another restaurant here that they've kept on with their takeaway because I think he did really well well with it and he he was straight on it as soon as lockdown mm. happened and all credit to him he's done really well and but he's still running with that even though the restaurant's still open. So mm. who knows I have got no idea what's going to happen none of us do but we will battle through and we will st- we will just keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean I imagine you've had a busy summer because you're in an area that yeah. it- it becomes so overrun with tourists, really, yeah. doesn't it? And I don't mean that for that to sound negative, but it is yeah. very, very busy, isn't it? It's just a difficult, it's going to be really interesting to see how things evolve this autumn. And of course, when this goes out, we'll probably know a bit more than when we know now, because we're expecting to potentially hear more in England over the next couple of days after the announcements in Scotland. Have you felt supported over the last few months in terms of your landlord your regular customers are obviously coming back to you do you feel as though there's been support there for you our landlord wasn't so great and that's why we were sort of forced into what we did but do you know what that's not a bad thing yeah we we haven't had that much support from them at all and also financially, we fell in, into that gap as directors of a limited company, which wasn't great either. Oh, yeah. I hear you. 
yeah that's when you that's when you you sort of give thanks for you know you've all that hard work that you did doing books in the past that you might get some royalties it through I know I know that you'll understand me on that one so you know I'm not a huge fan of the government that's no secret but they did what they did and they, they did pull out some pretty good measures for people but if it's going to affect hospitality again they have to do more we are a really important part of income and business in this country and we it's part of the creative scene of, of the UK which is I feel is is vastly important it's so important and it's part of we society lo- isn't it that people yeah, want exactly. to to sit together and break bread and eat together and they're talking about the whole cinema landscape and how is that going to be gone for good and what a horrifying thought because people will will still want to go to the cinema it's not going to suddenly be something that's obsolete and we don't care about and even more so for sitting down with friends and family and eating out it can't go it cannot go it cannot go and I think you know looking at looking at the in in Germany they've been looking at at the quality of ventilation in restaurants and buildings and I feel that's that's really important and they're, they're supporting businesses the government are supporting businesses there with ventilation that would make a huge difference to us and that's why, you know, we still had, we had still had holiday makers coming down and saying, oh, are you going to open? And we just couldn't because we know that, you know, the air quality in our, in our, in our unit is not great. It's in the summer, it's not good. So, you know, support that way and, and looking at all these di- all, all different aspects of it, not just, you know, social distancing. I think ventilation is going to be hugely important in the future. Mm. Hugely mm. important. But yeah, it, People are always going to want to come together, and you know that's what that's what our um, our business is based on. We used to, I mean, one table, and I don't know if Charlotte sat on it. We used to call it the naughty table, and sometimes <laughs> four sets of couples who'd never actually met, and they'd be sharing a table, and 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 they get on. It was so lovely to see them getting on, enjoying the food exchanging numbers it was just wonderful to see people you know old friends catching up that hadn't seen each other for years we've had all that sort of thing happening in in our in our little unit and um Mm. yeah it's one of the most joyous things in life I think sharing food with people and it can't change it cannot end but I think also you've as a a sector you, you know people have invested heavily in in doing things in this new way and investing in ventilation or equipment or different processes and practices it feels like such a massive shame if all of that then just gets shut down yeah you know under some sort of blanket ban that can't be right can it that people have invested and then it goes anyway there's something has to be done yeah I I feel for for you know what's happened in Scotland I mean it could I I think my, my brother's a doctor in the northeast and he reckons it's going to happen there probably very shortly I'm not in the government I don't know and I don't even know if the answer if the answer is to shut down hospitality outlets is that where it's happening I mean you know and or is it the fact that we're just going to have to live with this and protect the vulnerable you know it's it's such a hard one yeah and yeah yeah and I haven't been to Puglia this year, and it's absolutely dire. Sorry. <laughs> That's, well, it's great shape, isn't it? Because uh, you, you see, do you go once a year more frequently? No, I normally, I normally go about three times a year. Yeah, if I can. Yeah. Nice. 
Nice. So friends of mine have just, they've, they've got the travel company out of Lecce and they live in Canada and they've just arrived and they're isolating there for two weeks. And the generosity of all their friends there has been extraordinary. They've got the pizza guys from Lecce bringing them food and yeah, olive oil. Yeah, you know, they're, They've they've had to cancel. Of course, they've had to cancel all of their business, but they've they've they needed to go back and see what it was like and see if they can open next year and mm. and do a bit of research. You know. Yeah. 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 How have the last few months been? For you personally, I mean, without wishing to get, you know, too personal, I mean, it's obviously you've been working incredibly hard over the summer. It's so hard for anyone who's got a, a small business, I think, at the, or a large business yeah. at the moment. It's It's been tough. Do you know what? I have to say that um, lockdown was pretty good for us, for me personally, with the relationship with my son, who's now 17, and it changed our relationship. It really did. For the better, because he's often co- he goes off to college in Plymouth, and I'm at work. And um, yeah, we spent time together. We cooked together. We set up a little gym outside. We went for walks together. And do you know what? It was it. I I wouldn't change that part of it mm. because it has really helped us to to understand each other a bit more without all the dashing around and sort of clashing there was hardly any clashing at all which was yeah and then and I think when I started back let's talk when we started back at work I I turned up late and, and he just said oh we're back to normal then you're um you've come back really you've come home really grumpy and you smell of food <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's actually I mean, what in many respects it's been such a unique time yeah. to have that yeah. undivided time for families it's yeah. been an extraordinary time to yeah. just have that you know time in such a a sort of a way that doesn't have the usual distractions from real life yes and to me that was that was really that was really special and mm-hmm. I don't know if if I'll ever have that time again with him and I have to be grateful for that and I am yeah. very grateful for that to have that time with him yeah 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 so it's going to be an autumn of sort of seeing what happens then most likely and watching yeah. the news you know, because we don't know, which we've already discussed, we, we, none of us have got any idea. I think Christmas, we're trying to put together an offer for people. You know, we still have a lot of people, a lot of holidaymakers, second homeowners coming down here. And so we're gearing up towards that. You know, I think we have our website geared up towards a few slots. And I was just t- talking to Sam, my business partner, this morning about it. And, you know, she was sort of slightly mortified at how we're going to get everything on the website and get it all set up and running for Christmas. But, you know, I think a lot of the delivery slots for some of the supermarkets are already full for the lead up to Christmas. And we have to, you just, we have to capitalise it on it all and yeah. be, like I said, be creative. So, yeah, that's what we're doing. How that's exciting. It. Charlotte and, and I were talking the other day about the fact that there'll be so many more million people in this country over Christmas because yeah. people just can't go anywhere. So, What's the best way that, that people in the UK can support you and your business, Jane, and then other local businesses in their area? What would you ask our listeners to do to help the industry? I think that to do some research and have a look and see what, what a lot of the, the hospitality outlets are offering and just to try and support them a little bit, you know, you don't have to spend hundreds of pounds with, with people. Just look and try and spread the love around 
we had a lovely lady who unfortunately passed away in March, who um, who was one of the second homeowners in in March in um, in Solcombe, and she she loved what we did. But she said, "I'm going to spread all the work around." You know, they they own a big house, and I think that's really important. Supermarkets are going to do that. I think they're going to do really well out of this at Christmas. But look out at um, at local businesses. Do a bit of research and see if you can support, you know, even cake makers who all these people, florists who've lost so much business, as well as caterers and chefs and restaurants. They've lost so much business because of weddings. Yeah. So see, you know, just have a look and support them. Yeah, really and important. There's the symbiotic relationship as well, isn't it? Because, for example, I know that you use some amazing local veg growers. You yeah. know, local dairy juices, eggs, meat, fish. You know, it's you know it's you will cook with those ingredients. You will give business to those growers and producers in your area as well. Yeah, and that's and that's what I noticed. You know, when we started up again in May, a lot of our suppliers had had cut out. A lot of the speciality ingredients, they'd slimmed down their range and and we're just kind of now getting back to normal where we can actually get some really good um, ingredients again. And yeah, it's the same with, with all, all of the veg suppliers, yeah, me, yeah, everybody. What I didn't ex- expect was the uh, the one business in um, on a high street that seems to have done incredibly well is the fishmongers, our fishmonger, Emma and Darren, mm-hmm. yeah, they've done really well. That that's was really good. There was a queue there every morning. Fantastic. And that's in Kingsbridge. In Kingsbridge, yeah. Catch of the day. Really good to see. Fantastic. Fantastic. Brilliant. Lovely. Is there anything you want to get across that you haven't already, Jane? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, well, we've got a plug for Christmas. We'll put a link to the website and we'll obviously tag on uh, social media as well so everyone can find you is there anything else you'd like to ask Jane Jules no I'm good I'm just just relieved that the the internet (laughs) it's been a stable (laughs) connection actually is there anything you want to add Jules no I think just to say thank you and I wish you well you know tough times necessity is is the mother of invention you'll find a way and and everybody will you know just real sympathy for you guys at the sharp end of the industry and People will always want to eat out, and I guess we have to take heart from that fact that good chefs making good food will always be needed. And let's hope we we get back to a bit more trade as soon as possible. Absolutely, okay. I can't yeah. wait to come and eat your food again soon, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us. All right, cheers. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Wow, what a tough time it's been for Jane, and continues to be. Great advice there about how to support local food businesses. And now on to our second guest. Tell us more, Charlotte. Fiona Beckett is one of the UK's most prolific food and drinks writers. Fiona writes a weekly wine column in The Guardian. She is author of 24 books on food, wine and beer. She runs the matchingfoodandwine.com website and co-hosts the Batonage podcast. Over the years, her writing has featured in an impressively broad range of publications, from Decanter to the Daily Mail, and her books have covered topics from student cooking in the Beyond Baked Beans series, which was found in every student kitchen I ever went in, to her latest book, published earlier this year, How to Drink Without Drinking, celebratory alcohol-free drinks for any time of the day. 
She has won numerous awards for her work and last year was listed in Code Hospitality's 100 Most Influential Women in the Hospitality Industry. Fiona Beckett, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you for joining us. Fiona, we're speaking at a particularly challenging point in the world of food, drink, and hospitality at the moment. What are you seeing with the businesses near you? How are they coping with the current circumstances? I think what's been impressive about the businesses in, in the hospitality business is how much they have pivoted, the word we must we must now use, instead of just adapted. I don't know what is wrong with the word adapted, but they have pivoted other trading models. So a lot of restaurants and bars, for example, have set up as wine shops and you know, restaurants are doing takeaway boxes. Um, so people have tried everything they can, I think, to make the best of the situation. But I do think it is dire for many hospitality businesses. And the 10 o'clock curfew in particular is brutal. It kind of like uh, there seems to be nothing the government won't do to sort of, you know, cut the ground from underneath their feet. So every sympathy for them. Yeah. And I think one thing that seems to have been so, so difficult from a business perspective is having to make these pivots with virtually no notice and constantly having to adapt what you do. It's been terribly difficult for so many businesses. I mean, you're based in Bristol, aren't you? I am, yes. Mm. And uh, Bristol has such a fantastic array, array of food and drink establishments. And we actually spoke to Freddie Bird in Series 1 and Anya Morris about her work with Bristol Food Union. There's yeah. so many stories going on there. How do you feel as though people in Bristol have been supporting their local businesses? What have you seen there? Has I think they have. Been- I mean, I think neighbourhood has been, you know, the big asset for hospitality businesses, really. You know, if they've got a community around them, that community is by and large um, supporting them. So, you know, there are quite a lot of neighbourhoods and sort of villages within Bristol and people go to their local restaurants a lot. And I suspect we'll do even more if we get locked down, which actually is looking a bit gloomy. We were doing really, really well in terms of case numbers, but they have shot up. And so we may all be locked down soon again too. So, But it does seem to be that restaurants will be able to carry on trading, albeit with such slender margins that it must make it almost impossible for some of them. Yeah. And I think from, from what I read just over the last decade or so, Fiona, and I'm sure you're aware, the number of pubs closing per week pre-COVID was really unfortunately high. It seemed to be a really difficult industry. Now people have been shut, opened again, invested in new procedures, and now in some areas will be shut again. It's so terribly difficult to sustain a business in this environment. And what was already quite a tricky sector, I've seen some pubs offering sort of a work from home alternative. So come in and, and have a seat in our pub and, and even just have That's a That's been coffee. going for a while, hasn't it? It's hot yeah. desking. Yeah. Um, yeah. What other innovations uh, have you actually? Yeah, so mm. you can you can do your day to evening working day, can't you, from coffee to wine? Have you seen any mm-hmm. other innovations or what else is making news in the industry in terms of of helping these guys survive what is so tough? I do think actually, certainly so far as the drinks trade is concerned, selling alcohol direct, selling wine direct and, and beer direct is a way forward. And one I actually wrote about in the Guardian at the weekend. There's a really good pub in Highgate called the Red Lion and Sun. 
And I mean, they've set up a really good business selling really quite high-end wines to their customers. And they've even become an outpost for a New Zealand winemaker who's a mate of the publican and kind of basically operating his London cellar door, which I think is great. And I mean, locally in Bristol, there was a, a really nice little wine bar called Cask, which I went to a couple of times and then they were kind of locked down like everybody else. And they started sort of supplying wine direct their natural wine bar. And they kind of started doing events online. I mean, they have been endlessly creative and now have a really good following. So some listeners may or may not know that you have a family connection to the industry. And I think actually your son was mentioned in our series one, episode one, because I understand he's a, a director of Rockfish. And we interviewed Mitch Tonks in our first series. I think his name came up then. What is your son's experiences at the moment and and how does his business need support to survive? Well, he's the co-founder, co-owner of Hawksmall, a group of steakhouses. So probably one of the reasons I feel so strongly about hospitality. (laughs) I feel it on his behalf and um, a lot of their restaurants are in city centres. However, they do have a really loyal following. There was an evening standard review piece about what restaurant would you most like to go to after lockdown and and it was top. So they have a lot of people who who like eating there. That said, they've had to close in Edinburgh temporarily because, you know, all restaurants have had to close in Edinburgh for just over two weeks. Manchester probably looks a difficult situation. London could be. So, you know, it's not easy for anyone. He is, however, quite resilient and, and, and positive. I mean, I'm always amazed at kind of like how he sees the possibilities in something rather than kind of like goes into a terrible slump, you know, as he might well do. But he just seems to feel that they will survive and they will carry on and they will do what they do and they will do it as well as they possibly can. And it's an opportunity to do things better. So impressive and they have um Hawksmoor have started doing their at home boxes haven't they for several yeah, months they now do Hawksmoor at home so if you kind of like can't get to a Hawksmoor you can order a, a meaty box of goodies I was having <laughs> a look at very very tempting on our social media Fiona we'll we'll link to Hawksmoor, Hawksmoor as well as to you so I think everybody oh, has really. to be in it together don't we everybody has to support everybody else so actually, and I, and I was discussing this with a friend the other day, that actually we're talking about buying cheese, for example. And I mean, it really is an opportunity when you, you're buying anything to think about who you can support and try and kind of, you know, vary it a bit. So I do buy cheese online, mainly from Courtyard Dairy, occasionally direct from the producer. But I will also try and go to local cheese shops Try not to buy cheese in supermarkets. Um, not because I'm kind of like, um, oh, you can't buy anything from a supermarket. But because cheese is something that is so much better if you don't. And it is really, really important to try and help producers and shops. And so I think with every buying decision, and we have got a little bit more time often, think it through. And is this a way to help the business? You know, can we help people? Can we help by buying this cheese because like earlier earlier on in lockdown um mrs kirkham's lancashire was sort of really under pressure and there was a good deal of publicity about that jenny linford the food writer you know did a great job of kind of highlighting the plight of um cheese makers so 
let's try and do that. And butchers and fishermen and greengrocers, you know, all the businesses we can actually help. Yeah, very much so. We can all use our purchasing power to make a difference. And even though these decisions may seem small, they do have a really significant impact. What's the picture for British drink producers at the moment? What about wine, beer, cider producers? How are they all coping? I mean, I think people are finding it hard because a lot of people depend on this so-called on-trade, i.e. hospitality, pubs, bars and restaurants. And of course, their trading conditions were closed down and their trading conditions are difficult, you know, particularly in the north of England now. So they have felt the, the hit. But I mean, again, there are so many amazing drinks. I've just spent three days in Herefordshire going around cider and perry producers. And I mean, it is an absolute joy. And the drinks are brilliant. And they're affordable. I actually worked out that, um, or work out, it was made obvious to me that a bottle of perry, sparkling perry, is roughly the same price as a bottle of Prosecco that's not on promotion, you know, just like a sand. And actually, Prosecco is made in huge quantities. It's a, it's a kind of highly commercial product. Whereas perries are made by tiny producers, often from organic fruit. And it's a real artisanal product. You know, it's got an amazing history. It's delicious. If you don't like a totally dry drink, it hits that spot. I mean, some are drier than others, but, you know, you can find this, you know, a, a sort of fruity, slightly off-dry drink that you will love if you love Prosecco. So it's just a question of how can you help? How can you help um, drink producers as well? Breweries, um, you know, doing great things. And what are you saying about our, our drinking <coughs> Fiona? Obviously, you've written extensively about the non-alcoholic scene, which has grown enormously. What are we drinking at the moment? Are we drinking more or less? Are we mixing it up with, with nights off and, and non-alcoholic options? What do you... I mean, we certainly should be. We should certainly be taking a couple of days off a week, <laughs> which I try and do. And there are now an amazing array of alcohol-free drinks. So it's not like it's a massive hardship. I don't know. There's kind of like different surveys, different anecdotal evidence. And some people are saying we're drinking far more than we were before. And other people are kind of like, well, people are, are conscious that they're drinking too much and therefore not drinking so much. I think it's probably depends on the people you're talking to, doesn't it? But yeah, I mean, there is the temptation, given the news and the general gloom, there is the definite temptation to crack open a bottle at the end of the day, isn't there? But it could be a bottle of something alcohol free. And I think I the, whole key, the whole key with alcohol free is don't just kind of pour it into a, a dreary tumbler and, and serve it at room temperature. I mean, give it the respect that you would an alcoholic drink so you can make an alcohol free gin and tonic and it can be just as gorgeous as an alcoholic one. You know, plenty of ice, you know, nice fresh lemon or lime, whatever it is, orange, um, pink grapefruit is now the, the thing, isn't it? serve it with decent freshly open tonic and it's a really nice drink and it kind of makes you feel okay I'm having this drink I'm treating myself that is the key I think to to alcohol free great beers too actually really good alcohol is the best category of alcohol free drinks not wine so much 
That's a struggle. Interesting. That's really interesting. Actually, funnily enough, I was reading in the Times this morning that uh, apparently since the 10 o'clock curfew came into place across England, we've spent as a nation an extra £261 million on drink to mm-hmm. consume at home since then. I'm sure a lot of that is in, at the supermarket, but um, you mentioned supporting independent drink producers. Where would you recommend looking to buy drinks online from from independent suppliers do you have any suggestions Mm, off the top of my head I was looking at one yesterday and I now can't remember the name which is not terribly helpful your local drink shop your local wine shop is more than likely to have a good range of ciders and beers these days and, and even soft drinks so you know I mean it's a bit like the the cheese situation you know mix it up You know, if you've got a local shop or you've got a pub who's selling wine or beer, just kind of spread spread yourself around and kind of do a bit for everyone. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, like I'm not being unrealistic about it. I mean, I posted on the website a list of 10 wines that you can get from Aldi at the moment, which I think are good. People will, people, and also there's not a great deal of money around. People need to get hold of bargains. But, you know, you can do both. You can kind of like buy a couple of bargains but also help local producers, particularly important, I think, in the run-up to Christmas, you know. Don't just load up at the supermarket, you know, kind of do try and buy some nice bottles to treat yourself, because we may all be locked down. Treat yourself and buy them from Indies. I think there are more people diversifying as well. So we had Piper's Farm on the first series of the podcast, and I've seen that they're advertising that they will also be supplying wine so all of this direct-to-consumer sort of growth and innovation that people are doing there's all sorts Mm -hmm. of people that will supply you with food and wine or cheese and wine or wine and Mm -hmm. beer and cider it's just a case of having a look really isn't it you can google your local microbrewery I think anyone and everyone is grateful for whatever support they can get. So it's a case of... Yeah, I I, 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 I mean, I I guess there's a sense of tension slightly with the the wine shops or the, the booze shops sort of like, well, a restaurant's coming in on our patch. And when you're telling me about Piper's Farm, I'm thinking there must be people who feel, well, actually, you should be going to a kind of like specialist producer for wine and, and other drinks. But if you're ordering from Piper's and perhaps you're not ordering an awful lot of meat, you could actually put a bottle or two of wine in there. And, you know, I mean, I always think order enough not to pay the delivery charge and split. This is what I do with cheese. So split an order with a neighbour. So cheese can be quite expensive. And so, you know, what's the point of spending £5 delivery when you could actually be spending that on cheese or wine? No point at all. Absolutely. And then looking to Christmas, Fiona, what will you be eating and drinking at Christmas? And we don't even know who's going to be in our homes, do we? What what size of Christmas we'll be having? No, well, I hope, um, I mean, I normally go up to London and spend it with Will and his family. Then I kind of see the other members of the family around that. So I hope that will still happen. And it will be turkey. That's what we have. Nothing clever, you know. <laughs> and what will you be drinking along with the turkey? Well, this year I kind of feel, I'm now feeling so sort of messianic about cider. I think we definitely need a bottle of cider on the table because I do think cider goes really well with, with turkey. So I think we should do that. Um, but we will have wine too. That's a a really interesting idea. And of course, your website is so useful for all of these pairings. You are uh, crowdfunding for support for your website. Mm. How is that going? um... It's it's steady. It's just nice. Every so often, 
you know, somebody will just send a donation through. And it just does, I mean, I, you know, you kind of always think about these, should you put stuff behind a paywall? Not honestly, not really. I mean, I think people do if they're offering what counts as investment advice, if they're kind of like, they're people who are interested in buying Bordeaux or Primera or whatever, and they're getting advice as to the best buys. You know, obviously, it's, a, it's an investment decision, really. And so money is involved. Mine's more lifestyle. It's kind of like, if you enjoy food, and it is mainly for, for foodie people, I think. If you enjoy food, but don't feel very confident about wine, you spend all this time, you know, pouring over cookery books and trying to decide what to make. And then it's kind of like, oh, God, you know, what am I going to serve with this? It's for those people mainly. I mean, it's also for people who love wine and kind of like, well, like, this is my favourite wine. I love Pinot Noir. What do I eat with it? But it's primarily for food people because food people are oddly tentative about wine. And for people who enjoy cooking, love flavour, perfectly understand the way one flavour goes with another, somehow they kind of seize up when it comes to drinks. So there's, that is what the whole raison d'etre for the website. It's there to help. Well, I can Amazing. smell the, the fragrant wafting of my shin of beef that is slow cooking for my dinner tonight. I shall have a look on your website, Fiona, and find something delicious to go on side. Thank you very much for your time. Not at Thank all. You. Thank you. Enjoyed talking to you. Well, that was really interesting. Now, Jules, what's the latest industry news in the world of food shopping and supply? Sainsbury's will have more than doubled its pre-pandemic online grocery order capacity by the end of October, the supermarket has announced. Some 700,000 online orders per week will be fulfilled via both home delivery and click and collect by the end of next month. That's compared to 340,000 per week count in March. Sainsbury's will start morning deliveries half an hour earlier from 6.30am, with late night deliveries dropped off until 11.30pm, half an hour later than previously available. The new delivery times will be available from most stores and put in place over the coming weeks. The supermarket has also reinstated its delivery pass subscription service to new customers. The pass allows customers to prepay delivery fees in three, six or 12 month blocks. Tesco has begun rolling out a traffic light system at store entrances to help maintain distancing. The lights control the number of shoppers inside based on the store's capacity and two-metre social distancing guidelines. Some co-op and MS Simply Food forecourt stores have also installed traffic lights at entrances. And finally, Gressingham has announced a new branded range of whole geese in anticipation of COVID restrictions leading to smaller family gatherings at Christmas. Once a staple of festive dinners, goose has lost out to turkey over the past 100 years. But thanks to the bird's smaller size and the likelihood of a further tightening of coronavirus rules, it looks set for a comeback. So that's the latest from me. Let's talk about some cooking tips now with Charlotte. What have you got for us this week, Charlotte? Well, I've been thinking about cooking this week. And really, everything that I've been considering all comes back to what's in season at the moment, because this is one of the most abundant times of year for a wide variety of lovely seasonal produce to cook with. Of course, the advantage of cooking with ingredients in season 
is that they are at their most delicious and inexpensive. So I've been making the most of buying the best ingredients I can find at the best price. Some of the top ingredients to look for right now, I'd say are pumpkins and squash. Now, when you're buying them, I'd recommend looking for some more interesting varieties that are available. There are lots of different squash and pumpkin available, even in the supermarkets that vary from the usual butternut squash or sort of a Halloween lantern pumpkins. So look for something like a crown prince or a curry squash, K-U-R-I. They are both absolutely delicious to roast either on their own with some olive oil or with spices, or they could be fantastic added to soups and stews. Apples are also at their peak right now, and you can often get them for free or for very little money. I'm personally making them into purees, apple butter, crumbles, and I'm baking apple cakes to freeze. Beetroot, cauliflower, celeriac and chard are also fantastic ingredients and cost very, very little money to make a fantastic meal. But also thinking about that that abundance from a different perspective, a positive way to kind of fill my time at the moment on quiet days. And what I really recommend when you can't go anywhere is to do some batch cooking and filling the freezer with soups and stews, curries, whatever you like. So there'll always be a meal to hand. This feels like a really sort of enjoyable task to do when I feel stressed or I just want to get away from it all, spend some time in the kitchen. And it's just so satisfying to come up with a delicious meal that you can store away for another day. And I really recommend even just in in the course of everyday cooking, making a multiple batch of whatever you're making for supper and squirrel it away for another day because it will always come in handy. There'll be one day when you're really glad to pull something homemade, nutritious and ready to go out of the freezer. And I think now, Charlotte, that we're coming up to the season of slow cooking and batch cooking comes into its own then, doesn't it? Because the kind of things that you can slow cook, you really can cook lots of is that something that you would do very much so and it sort of lends itself to doing that naturally as long as you've got space to store it it makes more sense to cook more rather than a smaller batch in fact and I think one thing that also is so important about you know trying to make time for these these things from my perspective is that I know I've got a nourishing meal because it feels as though at this time of year I want to be doing everything I can to keep myself and my loved ones healthy and try and ward off colds and worse. So I think, you know, trying to make ourselves resilient through a good diet feels even more important than ever this autumn. Well said. I couldn't agree more, actually. Thank you, Charlotte. And wasn't that a great start to series two of the Pandemic Pantry podcast? Thanks to all our guests and our lovely listeners. And we'll talk to you all again soon. So we just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And we'll see you next week.